not going to talk over the intro music this week because we have an interview and that always messes people up. So. You know what? <laughs> I can look at him. I don't think he can actually even hear the music. No. That's no, why I try not to talk over the music when we have an interview because our interviewees can't hear the music. Okay. <laughs> anyway, welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. I am Kim and I am so excited for this week's episode. And I am Steve. And Kim, do you want to introduce our guest? I would love to. Our guest on this week's episode is Mr. Brad Measel, who is founder? Indeed, yep. Founder of Still Rights Distillery in technically Fairborn, Ohio, but Dayton, Ohio. Um, my favorite liquor of all time comes from Still Rights. It is their spiced rum. It tastes like birthday cake. It's amazing. I highly recommend it with a margarita. It tastes like key lime pie. It's so good. Okay. All right. Yeah, so we have taken the tour of the Still Rights Distillery, and this is just a... I love Still Rights so lo- much. Local boys done good. Yeah. And you are local, aren't you? We are indeed, yes. Super ingenious. And so Brad's been gracious enough to come on the show, share the Still Right story, talk a little bit about the distilling process and what kind of stuff they make and where you can find it and all that good stuff. Um, So thank you so much for spending an hour with us, Brad. Uh, I'm glad to do it. I hope an hour gets it done because once I get on a roll, I like to blab. Yeah, there's a lot to it. That's what we were talking about before the show. I don't know that we can contain it all in an hour. We we took the tour and the tour took longer than an hour. But yeah. that also included that sitting at the, the bar there. The tasting, okay. which was yeah, the best. The tasting. All right. Arguably the best part. So, Brett, do you have a partner or is this all you? I do for sure. Um, I have two, in fact. My, my youngest brother, Sean, um, and then our cousin, James. Uh, we are three equal partners in the business. Um, James and I now take care of all the operations. Um, Sean is just in the ownership at this point. He, he was in operations for several years um, and then he had to go back to work as a millwright. Um, so it's just James and I now in operations. But there are three owners, myself and Sean, my younger brother, and James Bagford, our, our cousin. Oh, so it's a completely family-owned business. Everyone's local, and you're all right here from the Miami Valley? Yep, yep. Yeah. So what kind of spirits do you distill? So we got into the business to make bourbon. That's kind of our baby. We have uh, a weeded bourbon that we make, um, and we started the, the bourbon. We barreled our first batches in, in the March of 2012, um, and then we released those two years later um, in March, or actually about June of uh, 14. So we came on the market with that, a, a straight bourbon whiskey, um, and every, every bottling that we've done since then, the age has gone up a little bit. So now the, the bourbon that we're bottling is, is close to seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also make three rums, the spiced rum that you were talking about. So good. Um, and then we also have a bourbon barrel aged rum um, and a silver rum that's basically just the rum straight off the still. And we currently make um, six moonshines. We have a, a clear, or tr- we call it traditional recipe moonshine. Uh, that's 104.7 proof. Does it catch and fire? Then- it would indeed. <laughs> it would indeed. Okay. Yeah. He said, Brad, I got relatives. My family's from Kentucky, and I can't mention names, but I have, have I might some, have uh, moonshine here that... That is not... That is perhaps <laughs> ill-gotten. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what moonshine is supposed to be, though, really. I mean, 
our moonshine, uh, by definition, uh, is a little off because it's it is legal. It's we pay the taxes. <laughs> so the moonshine you have is real moonshine. So. The last thing I need is uh, some federal agent showing up here at the house. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And we also have uh, five flavors of that that same moonshine. That the flavored moonshines are seventy proof. Uh, and we have uh, an apple pie moonshine mm. and a peach cobbler moonshine, uh, a margarita moonshine, a cinnamon moonshine, and then a key lime pie moonshine. Oh. And you have just plain old corn. Yeah, that's right. Corn, corn <laughs> well, ours, ours Steve's is, a traditionalist. Uh, yeah, ours is a, a sugar shine, really. Ooh. We use some cornmeal, but for the most part, I mean, it's, it's not a corny uh, sour corn shine like uh, a lot of them. Yeah. Okay, so as we were getting here, getting everything ready, and you said, you know, I, I don't know if we can keep this to an hour. So you take the lead right here. Tell us, pretend like we're on the tour, give us the Steel Right story because it it's a, a really cool it's story. It's fantastic <laughs> and it's amazing. All right, cool. The, uh, the three of us, my brother and my cousin, we, we started um, working together for my father. My, my dad had a millwright company. Uh, that he started by himself. Well, actually, it was him and his brother and his dad started a millwright company in 1982. As that progressed, uh, my dad ended up buying out his dad and his brother, and it became his company um, in in whole. But then as myself and my brothers got older, um, we bought into the company too. So it was a family millwright company. Um, and our thing was industrial machinery moving. So uh, dad's, dad's forte was um, going into the factories around town and bringing in new equipment or taking out old equipment or doing factory rearrangements. But um, mostly our work was in the automotive industry. Yep. Um, and uh, there was a lot of uh, industrial machinery around town in the, in the auto plants until they started leaving town. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started um, helping that move. And it was kind of wild. We helped empty those plants as millwrights, as machinery movers. A big part of our job during that period of time was to disassemble those assembly lines and move them into overseas containers and ship them someplace else, knowing that, you know, we'll never get to move those machines again. And some of those machines we had done rearrangements. We had moved some of these machines eight or 10 times in, you know, over the course of decades, um, and then we finally, the final move was into an overseas container uh, and out the door. So, what was that like? Emo- was that uh, hard emotionally? It was big time. Um, it was it was tough because, like I said, we, myself and my brothers, we grew up in those plants. Yeah. I started working in the, those plants when I was eighteen. Down in Moraine. Um, uh, oh yeah, we did a lot of work in Moraine and the plant. I mean, all of the the Needmore Road plant, the Woodman plant. I lived in for a long time. Yeah. We also did did work at the uh, the Moraine plant, the engine plant in Moraine. We we did work at the brake plant there on Edwin C. Moses. Uh, we did work in all of those GM plants, and uh, it was sad to see him start start moving out of town for sure. Yeah. And as that started happening, we started talking about as a family what else could we get into, um, you know, just in case you know the auto industry doesn't come back strong in Dayton. Uh, and just as we got into those discussions, um, dad passed away unexpectedly. Mm. Oh. And yeah, when that happened, it kind of, it kind of threw everything upside down. Um, we, 
he left that company to myself and my youngest brother, Sean, and we continued to run that company. But we, at that point, we really accelerated that search for something else. How many, um, how many, uh, brothers and sisters did you have here that there were four, four of us, four yeah. brothers, um, and all four of us worked in the company. Um, but at the time, by the time dad had passed away, um, two of my brothers had, had left the company to pursue different careers. My oldest brother, uh, moved to Nashville to pursue a, a writing career, a songwriting career. Mm-hmm. And my, my, the brother just under me, Brian, um, he got his mas- massage license and, and started doing medical massage. So Sean and I were the only two brothers left in the company when dad passed away. So we continued to run that company. But then, like I say, we also really huddled up and, and really started thinking about what else we could do. So, and we, we kind of went about, about that whole different way. We, we started by building two lists. Um, the first list we called our dream job list. And that was like, if we could, if we could start a business doing anything in the world, lottery winner, uh, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> lottery winner. Exactly. So for, for us, that, that dream job list, um, making whiskey was up there pretty high, you know, making booze, making, making beer, uh, opening a brewery was on that dream job list. Yeah, Cause that was uh, right talking. at the start of the brewery renovation or like the resurgence, right? When Dayton yes. really started reinventing itself as a brewery city. That's right. Yep. It sure did. And that, those were on our list. And then we also had another list that kind of pertained more to the business things, what type of business we wanted to be in, what we didn't want to be in. We, we definitely did not want a business that was tied to the automotive industry. Yeah. Um, we wanted, we wanted something um, first and foremost that would be kind of um, recession resistant, something that would do well in an economic downturn. Cause or we a plague. Of, <laughs> 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 yeah, man, I didn't know how, how <laughs> insightful that was going to be, but. Uh, at that point, we just saw uh, a financial crunch coming for the area because of the automotive industry mm-hmm. leaving town. So we wanted something that would survive an economic downturn. And as it turns out, the the alcohol things on our dream job list kind of were on the other list, too, because in economic downturns, alcohol businesses do well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of <laughs> started off as a as a joke. But then, you know, we thought maybe we really could start a bourbon distillery. Uh, and from there it was off. We, we just started studying into it and it got, it got super exciting at that point. And yeah, I like- love, I feel like the still right story is I, so anybody that listens to the podcast regularly knows how passionate I am about Dayton and Dayton history. And the still right story is Dayton at its finest. Um, my favorite Daytonian in all of, all of Dayton history is Ermel phrase who couldn't open his beer bottle. So he invented the pop top. He saw a problem, he solved it. And that's what Daytonians do. We see a problem and we solve it. So how did you, using that Dayton ingenuity, create a still from the millwright business? Well, that's kind of a funny story. We we started um, a little on the shady side because uh-huh. it's, yeah, I know. it's Like it's a true moonshiner does. <laughs> right. So it's it's illegal to have in your possession an operational still yep. in the state of Ohio. Yeah, Kentucky um, too. <laughs> yeah, but we 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 went ahead and we built this little still out of a beer keg, and it's illegal to do that. So I gotta say, don't 
Don't build a still. <laughs> Kids, don't, don't do this don't at home. This at home. <laughs> but if you would want to, homedistillers.org is your friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just for it. Yeah, just for. Uh, for informational purposes only. Right. It's a great place. But we, we built this little still and we started distilling and we just kind of got hooked. Um, and we were still operating the Millwright Company. And we, you know, started experimenting with this uh, distillation and the fermentation part of it was uh, was uh, cool, too. And we did a lot of experimenting there, too. But then when we decided to really build the business, build a distillery, the way we went about it was had to do, again, with the automotive factories. As we were emptying these factories, we would load those those overseas containers with the equipment and a lot of the stuff wasn't shipping overseas it was shipping to to the to the scrap yards in town you know patterson iron and metal or franklin mm-hmm. iron and metal um just by the by the semi loads on a weekly basis so we started telling um all the people that we were working around all the other contractors what our plan was um we were going to build a little distillery so if you see anything from these factories that's headed to the scrap yard that looks like it might work in a little distillery um, let us know. We'd like to salvage that stuff and repurpose any of that stuff that we could. So we wanted any copper or any stainless steel or any any stainless pumps or mixers or anything like that. Um, and so we started getting phone calls about all the stuff that was headed to the scrapyard. And we just started bringing it home with us. Uh, and we did that for too long and we brought too much stuff home because we, like we that Johnny like, Cash song one piece at a time like eventually <laughs> you're gonna is. have that's right that's funny we flipped the, the switch and all three lights came on that's right <laughs> <laughs> now I remember from the tour you guys don't have like uh, a doctorate or a master's degree in distillery or anything like that you guys paid a lot of attention in high school high school chemistry class right um, no, sir. We didn't even do that. <laughs> I was, I was totally watching girls in high school. Kids class. Uh, but, uh, when, when we built that little still, uh, something happened and we just got excited and we started reading everything we could get our hands on. And some of the books were super low tech, super, almost hillbilly backwoods woods moonshine kind of books moonshiners for also, dummies yeah that's right yeah yeah well the one of my favorites was just called um corn whiskey um how to make corn whiskey <laughs> nice and it was it was a great book um we really learned a lot from that but then we also read some that were college college books that were almost too scientific for us but it was so exciting. We just we just couldn't get enough. We the more we read and the more we learned, the more we wanted to read and learn. Yeah, so. that's that's exciting type stuff. Yeah. So, is there any significance of the name Still Rights? Where does Still Rights come from? Well, that uh, that's just kind of a play on words from the Millwright Company. Okay. You know, we were I'm a third generation Millwright, um, and that's uh, when we started distilling. We just thought that would be kind of cool to become become still rights, yeah, you know, we had mill rights. I had been a millwright for 30 years at that point. So yeah, you don't look that old. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't look that old. No. I'm, uh, Bre- brewing I'll keeps be, you young. Distilling keeps thanks, you young. I'll be 72. Whoa. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Man, I thought you were my age here, like 40 or something. <laughs> yeah. Or something. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or something. Or something. Um, 
Can you explain? Okay, it's time to educate us. What makes yeah. bourbon bourbon? All right. I mean, that is a popular drink right now. What makes what makes it bourbon versus whiskey? All right. So, um, well, let's start there. Whiskey, as far as the the government or the TTB federal government is concerned, um, they have classes and types of of these alcohols, the high proof alcohols, and whiskey is a class. And under that class of whiskey, there are several types. And bourbon uh-huh. is a type of whiskey. So all bourbon uh, is whiskey, but there's a lot of whiskeys that aren't bourbon. So mm. there's yep. Irish whiskey is still in that whiskey class. Um, corn whiskey is a type. Um, rye whiskey is a type. Blended whiskey is a type. They all fall under the whiskey class. So, but bourbon in particular, there's a lot of rules and regulations about bourbon uh, and I, I won't be able to come up with them all. I know bourbon has to be made from all grain. You're not allowed to use sugar in the recipe. It has to be made from at least 51% corn. Mm-hmm. It has to be distilled under 160 proof. It has to be barreled at or below 125 proof. And it has to be bottled at 90 or above proof. It has to be aged in a new charred white oak barrel. Um, It cannot be filtered to any major extent and nothing can be added to it once it comes out of the barrel other than, other than water. Hmm. And I've probably missed a couple, but that's, (laughs) I think that's the most important ones. So where do you have a barrel supplier? Do you guys, surely you're not producing your own barrels. No, we don't. We, we, we don't supply our own barrels. That would be cool, though. Um, in fact, cool story, another distiller right down the road, Indian Creek, their, their, their forefathers were millwrights as well. Oh, neat. Um, but they came into and settled in Ohio in the 1700s, and they were, they were barrel makers as well. They made their own barrels. So they, they kind of won up this there. But we buy our barrels now from an Ohio cooperage called Speyside Bourbon Cooperage. Uh, and we're we're just tickled to death to be getting Ohio made barrels now. Yeah. For a long time, we bought barrels out of out of Kentucky, um, but these these Speyside barrels they use ninety percent Appalachian oak, which a lot of it is grown in Ohio. So yeah. um, that's that's super cool to be getting Ohio grown some Ohio grown oak now. Oh yeah, yeah, this, yeah I mean it, you yeah. I, again, I'm fourth generation Daytonian on either side of my family. And cool. so being able to use all Ohio, all local, it's, I think it's just amazing. So you're still a relatively young company. Is that fair to say? I, I don't know. I, I probably, I mean, we you're not, been on, we've been on the market now for six years. Yeah. I mean, so. but you're not up there like Jack Daniels and those, you're not <laughs> been around for hundreds of years. So, I mean, it's, I guess it's all relative. Right. So, right. In, in that amount of time, how big has your market grown? Because I know, remember when the uh, they started locking everything down, the governor had to tell the people from Pennsylvania, "Don't come! You, you can't come to Ohio and get your <laughs> booze anymore." So, or yeah. is this? Can are are you distributing marketing outside of the state, or we are not? We we tried for a minute. We we got our license in Illinois. Um, we had a, a distributor up there that was excited to to try to sell our products. Um, and it didn't work out very well. We did the same thing in Kentucky. 
we had some people that wanted our products in Kentucky, so we got our Kentucky license. Um, and again, just being a two-man operation, it was just it, it was just uh, more than we could do to do any type of sales or marketing. Um, yeah. You know, either in either place, so it just didn't work out. I think we had our license um, in those states for maybe two and a half or three years, um, and it just it didn't produce any fruit, just because we we just couldn't um, make it produce fruit. So. Um, we have since let our licenses lapse, and we're we're just strictly in Ohio now. Huh. Okay. Which that I mean, that's just a perfect segue into the, my next question here. What does it take to get a license? I, I imagine it's a bureaucratic nightmare to be able to do this. You know, when we first got into business, it was it was really super hard, and everybody, um, all the states have really made big strides in how they handle that now um, with the craft spirits movement. Um, being as big as it has been over the last six or eight years, um, most of the states now have automated systems. And when we moved into Kentucky, um, I'm telling you, it was maybe 30 minutes, 35 minutes, and it was all online. Really? We registered our, we registered our products, and we, we filled out all the paperwork. And within, within a couple of weeks, we heard back from them, and we were good to go. So oh, wow. I think – and in, in, in years past, it has been a real a real pain. I think it's a lot better now. It is still it's still confusing because every state has different laws. Mm. Every state handles alcohol a little bit differently. So there's little nuances and kind of site specific things that you have to do in each state. Um, but again, we're just in Ohio now, so we we don't have to worry about a whole yeah. lot. Of yeah, that. I would imagine that makes it a whole lot easier. Now, I imagine yeah. the state though comes in. I imagine there's all sorts of inspections, sanitary inspections, and do they proof your alcohol or. Yeah, how- I was going to ask about that. How do you proof alcohol, especially well, with bourbon, that- when everything has to happen at such a precise proof level? Yeah, that was that was one of the things in the business that is a lot harder than we imagined. Um, the, the proofing or the, the testing of the alcohol has to do with the, the density of the alcohol. Um, alcohol is less dense than water. So we'll float a hydrometer into the alcohol. Um, and then different, different ranges of hydrometers will tell us, you know, what, what the, what the proof is or what the percentage of alcohol is in there. And, and it gets kind of tricky because, um, the, the, the uh, hydrometers read true at 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So if, you're, if your spirit is not right at 60 degrees, then you start having to do math equations. And the further away from 60 you get, um, the less um, accurate they are. So, huh. And then if, it's, if you're off a little bit and you have to make an adjustment and you say you have to add some water to make the proof go down a little bit, there's an exothermic action with the mixing of the alcohol and the water that creates heat. So then when you try to take the measurement, the heat throws off the measurement. So you have to let it calm for a while. And it's, it really is, it's tough to, to measure the alcohol content. So in other words, we are never going to be still right. Oh, I, I always have to tell Kim, don't don't use those big words at me. Uh, and you just threw out exothermic. Well, so. and I always yeah. tell you, don't math at me. So we are <laughs> right. we're never going to be distillers. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Well, I mean, this whole process is amazing. I mean, it's it, it's compl- there's maybe not complicated, but there's a lot to it. A lot of different processes. It sounds like from not only just distilling it, but to 
like any business, you know, to get the license to market it to I'm do just everything. So it's so amazed at how, you. How guys. do only two guys do it? Yeah, and that you didn't know anything about it going into it. It just is mind-boggling to me. It's it's pretty cool. We still we are still learning because I mean, like you say, so much of it is science. It's unbelievable, and we have just scratched the surface. Uh, and it's cool. Even today, we were we were discussing how we could change the process and how we can still make uh, improvements and do things better. Um, just as we were continually learning, uh, because it is so in depth. I mean, uh, it's like the and I I hate to use the word hillbilly. I am one of them, but the hillbillies they they made they made whiskey forever, and they didn't really know. They still a lot of them don't know exactly you know why things are doing what they're doing. Uh, no scientific knowledge of it. They know it works, and they know they they can do it, and they do it. And that's kind of the way we started. And now as we've gotten into it, we're, we're learning the finer nuances of it, you know, and the, the, Brad, the science. they went blind. And as far as I know, nobody's <laughs> gone blind from drinking still, right? Oh, man. So, yeah. Okay, so I, I, I worked in a prison for a little bit. And, um, oh, prison they, hooch. They, they made their own hooch there until, until the corrections officers found it. <laughs> but yeah. but, uh, but <laughs> probably a little bit safer process and more sanitary than... <laughs> What you're doing than what they were but doing, I'm guessing. So, but the still right stuff is so good. Like your whiskey is super smooth and it's just a really good tasting alcohol. And so for you guys to have had no background in it, to be relatively, you know, I mean, young-ish as far as, you know, an industry standard goes and to be making such quality product is, it's just phenomenal. Well, thanks. We got, we got lucky. We, we really, we got in at a time when there was a lot of excitement in the craft distilling uh, segment and we fell in with a couple of really cool people. Um, they really kind of took us under their wing and uh, they, they showed us some cool stuff. I got to study under uh, Dave Pickerel, who was the head mm-hmm. distiller from uh, Maker's Mark before he passed away. Uh-huh. And man, he was a he was a brilliant distiller. That was that was super cool to have have been able to spend some time with him. Um, but yeah, the that part of it was uh, was fun, and we we kind of missed that that excitement of the of the early days learning learning so much about it. But it sounds like you're still there, kind of. I mean, you know, you're still picking up, like you said, the little nuances and little tips and tricks that are going to make it more cost effective. Um, which that's another thing. Like how how cost effective is it is it financially difficult to start a business like this yeah for sure the the margins are terrible um it's it is really a hard it really is a hard business to make money in um and we 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 had heard that going in there's a a great distillery in columbus called um the middle west spirits company they make the oyo products and vim and pedal and that one of those their guys told us you know early on it, this is a super hard business. And if you don't go big, um, you know, there's, there's really no money in it. And we, we kind of, Oh yeah, well, we don't, we don't believe you, bro. We, we but he, was, he was right. for sure. It's hard. It's a hard business. And do you find yourself, you know, now that you're getting the bourbons out and they're, they're aging, do you find yourself um, refining the recipes a little bit, or are you just going to stick with, this is what it is. And that, you know, now we have this, you know, like McDonald's, you go here, it's, it's going to be the same thing here and there. Or are you refining your recipes? We are for sure changing things up. Um, 
the recipes, um, not so much on our main products. The bourbon, we're still making it the same way we always have. Um, we are using different barrels now, and um, that I think will stay stay the same. But we're we're getting ready to make some major changes. Um, our the the moonshine, uh, several of those are not selling very well out and about. Um, they sell great from the distillery when we can have somebody sample them mm-hmm. because they're they're really good products. But just from the shelf, not having you know not having tasted it, um, they're not doing well. So. Um, we're pulling those back, a lot of them, just to the distillery only, uh, and they won't be in the in the liquor store, the bailment system they call it. Um, so we're making we're making some serious changes here within the next couple of years, especially. There's going to be some cool things happening with still rights. Yeah, and it's and that's not like you have a, a department to watch and to track all this. This is just you and <laughs> the family saying, "Hey, you know," and we, we live and learn, I guess, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. A lot of guesstimates. Now, one of the things that I would venture to say, possibly, it seems like Old Smoky has the lock on the flavored moonshine industry, and I think part of it is because of their bottle, quote-unquote bottling. It comes in a mason jar, so it looks old-fashioned. But there's something special about the Stillwrights bottle, too, right? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool, kind of unique. It's a it's a French it's a French design. We oui. uh, came from a, a company. Yeah, we used to ha ha. Used to <laughs> the the company was called Bruni. They have since been bought by Berlin. But um, it's a it's a cool it's a cool bottle and a cool story. There's a the Bruni company every year had a a contest with the local design school, and the uh, the seniors at the design school got the design bottles. And then the the bottle that they liked the best, um, they would deem the winner, and then they would actually produce that bottle every year. <clears throat> I don't know. Excuse when we go into the state store, it's it's a unique bottle. I mean, it's you don't, so so you don't have to look for the label. Right it's, there, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Hey, um, so let transition just a little bit, and let's talk about, because, I mean, it's it's occupying all the news right now. With the COVID, with the virus going on, has that hurt or has that helped your sales? Um, I don't know, to be honest. It, yeah. A little bit of both, a little bit of both. The, when it first hit, we were asked um, if we could make the hand sanitizer. Um, really? And, yeah, right off the bat, um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, a group from the base came to us and, and said, you know, we saw where a couple uh, small – distilleries had started doing this and we wondered if you could do it um, and supply us with some hand sanitizer because we're out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first phone call, I said, no, um, I, I, while we were talking, I got on the FDA's uh, website and started um, kind of looking at what it, what it took to do that. And um, it looked super intense um, because they, they consider that hand sanitizer an over the counter drug. Oh, wow. So you you become a drug manufacturer. So now, um, not only are you moonshiners, you're drug dealers too. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, no, we are not. Uh, <laughs> Way to go, Cam! I, I, I told this uh, lieutenant colonel, "No, we we can't do it. Um, we we make bourbon and rum and moonshine, and we don't make hand sanitizer. I'm sorry." But then he called back the next day. And said, you know, hey, check the FDA's website. They have loosened the restrictions, okay. um, and it looks like um, they're going to just let you guys do it without any, you know, formal um, licensing and whatnot. So, oh, wow, 
Waved a lot of rules. Yeah. They sure did. They they made it they made it um doable. So um we we agreed to do it and it was kind of crazy. We had just made um rum because we were almost out of rum. We made rum for about six weeks and all of it was in containers on the on the factory floor. And when this happened, we just took that rum and put it back into the still and redistilled it because the, the hand sanitizer has to be distilled to 190 proof. Hmm. Um, so what we had on the floor was this rum <clears throat> at about a, <clears throat> pardon me, about 140 proof. So we put that back into the still and redistilled it and started making hand sanitizer, which oh, wow. was, it was super hard for us in a couple, couple different ways. First off, we knew we were going to run out of rum because we would just turned all our rum into hand sanitizer. But then our still is not set up at all to, to, to distill to 190 proof. Um, that's, that's kind of hard. It takes a, a, a vodka still basically, which ours is not. Mm-hmm. So when we were producing 192 proof liquor, it was, it was coming off the still at an absolute drip. It was like we were making an, a gallon an hour. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was just so slow. It was terrible. So I called that, that guy back and I said, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this or not because the, the, the effect or the cost efficiency is going to be terrible um, just because of our equipment, our setup. And he's, he basically said, don't worry about that. Um, we'll cover the cost. Wow. Um, we need it. We need it. Just make it. So Whoa. We, start, we started working around the clock, which we had never done before. Um, but we just didn't want to shut the still down. So James would work a 14 hour night shift Holy and then God. Jody and I would work a 14 hour day shift and we'd kind of overlap and, uh, kind of catch up. And we did that gosh for weeks until we didn't, we forgotten who we were. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah, you're getting oh, me in the pit imagine. of my, you're getting me in the pit of my stomach here. I know. Right. Was, like this is, you know, especially for working, I, it's just a beautiful story. Like we're doing, you know, making the sacrifice for the, for the military, for the air force. Um, and it's just a lot of local, you know, local small guys like you that are really, um, just, I think the real heroes of, of the age right now. Yeah. This well, well, it's, well, it's an amazing story. It was cool to be able to step up and do something. And we thought going in, <clears throat> they wanted 40,000 ounces. So we, we figured it out. We thought we can knock that out, you know, relatively quick and get back to business. And as we got into it, we just got inundated with calls. And it's like that 40,000 ounces just went to, you know, 40 million ounces over the, over the course of a couple of days. It was like, Jeez. we cannot, we're, we cannot keep up. So um, it was the, it was the hardest work we had done. Uh, we had never worked around the clock before, you know, making uh, beverage alcohol. Well, if you don't so, mind, how many employees do you employ there? Just, just the two of us. My wife works oh. three days a week. Uh, Holy but James, cow. James and I are at now Jody during that period of time, all, all three of us were working um, every day, all day. So, so what I heard though, is you had to kind of basically upgrade the stills to w- what could produce vodka. So is there vodka in your future now? Mm-hmm. There is. But not <laughs> thank, not until, thank you, not Uncle until Sam. A, yeah, not until we get a better still. Okay. We, we won't be making vodka on our still that we have right now. So, oh. But we will be making vodka. Yes. I mean, 
I mean, I am so glad we interviewed you guys I tonight because this so is. Excited. I mean, this is like, you know, I just want to go outside and start waving a flag right now. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, are tours still happening, or is that pretty much shut st- things down? We have started doing tours again. Um, we're limiting the capacity um, to to like thirty percent of what we used to do. Mm. Um, but it's still cool to get people back into the distillery. It's um, having stopped the tours really hurt our business. Really, um, the tours, yeah, the tours were a big part of our 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 business and drove a lot of sales there at the distillery. Uh, and it's still that has not that has not picked back up to where it was pre COVID at all. But at least we're doing some now. So, so but yeah, are you? I mean, finding, that's how we found still rights. Somebody invited us on a tour, and now it's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Oh, so right. are are you finding that? Um, business is starting to pick up a little bit or is it still slow? I mean, we're seeing that. I, I love metrics. I love following these things. And we noticed that when the lockdown stopped and I, I'd made a lot of assumptions are listens. I can track how many listens we have and it dropped off probably close to 30, 40%. So in our mind, it, we're thinking that a lot of people are listening to us as they're driving to work. Mm-hmm. So are you able to kind of put two and two together and try to figure out what's happening or? Um, you know, a little bit. When, uh, when the, the, the COVID crisis really hit, we had just started getting some momentum in uh, what we call off-premise, which is bars and restaurants, or I'm sorry, on-premise, um, yeah. where um, the, the alcohol is consumed right there at the bar or restaurant. And we had just gotten into several restaurants we were just – proud of um and that was really starting to gain some traction and then they shut all that down the bars and restaurants um but at the same time they left the the liquor stores open yeah so Mm -hmm. the sales from the liquor stores the retail sales uh we saw an uptick there while people weren't coming to the distillery or um going to the bars or restaurants uh, we made up for that that lack of sales with the the retail sales from the stores. Uh, so people buying bottles and taking them home with them. We tried to help so, you out there. I mean, appreciate shoot, that. you, you <laughs> go to the restaurant and get Mexican food and get a a margarita to go right oh now in Ohio. They put it in like a plastic cup. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. That's the best thing ever. I support it. <laughs> I wonder how much of this stuff will stick around after... Uh, All of it, hopefully. <laughs> I hope that will, for sure. That's great. I, I just remember watching one of the governor's briefings, because, you know, at that time, we were watching every day what was going on, and I remember when um, they he, he had to um, go on TV and tell the people of Pennsylvania... Governor, you, you you can't come to Ohio and buy your liquor because I guess in Pennsylvania they weren't allowed to yeah. do yeah. whatever they were doing. Because but, we're yeah. I, you know, Governor Devine, he almost he had a a I don't know how he did it. He had a smirk on his face. I mean, you could tell he thought it was funny to have to say for that. Masks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, do you have a favorite out of the Ooh. product the products that you make you distill? Do you personally have a favorite? Yeah, for sure. Our bourbon is definitely still my favorite, um, and i i like I like our bourbon uh, cask strength, um, which we we have never released any of that to the public. But um, <laughs> everything that we <laughs> everything that we bottle um, is at ninety proof, uh, and when it comes out of the barrel, it's a, almost one hundred and thirty proof, or right at one hundred and thirty proof, um, and that at one hundred and thirty proof, that that bourbon is 
really something. That's that's my favorite thing we make for sure. So w- w- when you put it in the barrel, is the barrel 90% full, 100% full, or 75%? I mean, I imagine you have to account for temperature and you know there's gonna be some fluctuation the evaporation yeah yeah well that's why i'm getting how much evaporation do you see and leakage and stuff like that well a lot a lot we will fill that barrel completely up no air in it whatsoever um and then it will start evaporating out leaking out um that's what they call the angel share right Mm -hmm. yeah um and it just depends on the barrel how tight the barrel is what that ends up being and that can be anywhere from eight to ten percent up to. So we've had some that were thirty and thirty-five percent um, angel share. So um, it really hurts when you open a barrel and there's only seventy percent of what you put in there. Um, but is that yeah. about average that you're seeing that that's there's nothing we can do to fix that. It just it just happens. Yeah, somewhere around somewhere around eighteen uh, percent, somewhere around in there, I think. Um, and that that changed over the course of the years. We had started out in small barrels, um, 15-gallon barrels is what we started in. And the reason we did that was because the ratio of volume to surface area was such that the aging process or the extraction process during that maturation happens quicker um, because of the, the surface area. But because of that surface area, it also evaporated more. So there was more of that angel share in those smaller barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved from the 15 gallon barrels to 25 gallon barrels, um, for a, a couple of years. And now we're into the big 53 gallon barrels, which have less angel share, but still somewhere, um, upwards 15, 15%. And have you figured out why that's happening? Why the bigger barrel is there's less or. Yeah, it, it has to do with the, the surface area, huh. um, the volume to surface area ratio. Um, but I mean, that's, it's kind of, uh. Uh, just the um, the business, you know, everybody has to fight that same that same problem. The barrels give up some of the alcohol. And so, is is that something you just discovered on your own and you figured out, or is that something you went to like your uh, your friend from Maker's Mark? Did he explain this? This is going to happen to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know. That was one of our biggest mistakes. And I don't really looking back. I don't know how we could have made this mistake so bad, but. We built our business plan with the assumption that the the angel share would be five to eight percent. And I, for the life of me, I don't know where we came up with that figure. Um, but boy, was that off base! <laughs> really? Yeah. When we started into it, it was like, get the eraser out, boys, because this is not right at all. Oh, and uh, we started opening the barrels, and it was like. Where is all the whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> your brother, drunk mice, <laughs> running around. Did you talk to your brother about right. this? Yeah. Working that night shift. Right. Right. Yeah, there, there was a lot of that going on early on. We were pretty excited. To, we, we sampled a lot in the, in the early days <laughs> for sure. So, are you finding you have more friends now than when you were millwrights? <laughs> yes, no question. You're a hit at parties, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. This. I, I know. I was so excited for this interview. Like my heart is still pumping red, white, and blue right now over the, right. the COVID stuff. I you know, know, I love, I love still right so we, much. We, we, we ran out of um, hand sanitizer and the only place I could find some was down at, oh my uh, gosh, at Rural, Rural, King. Rural King and you open that stuff I up. I swear it's drinkable. Oh. It smells like <laughs> pure corn liquor. That's it, what it is. But oh. I mean, it's got the consistency of like, Water. But. Speaking of rural king, what do you do with your spent grains? 
So historically, we had been giving them to uh, a farmer, uh, well, several different farmers uh, over the course of the years. Um, but just recently, um, our farmer has kind of, the farmer that we had been relying on, uh, quit quit feeding cattle. Oh. So he stopped coming uh, and getting the, the grain. So lately, we've been hauling it to a composting outfit um, right around the corner from us. And it's a it's a big industrial complex where they recycle all manner of things. And one of their things is they have a huge compost area where people bring leaves and grass and anything compostable. Um, and they allow us to dump that that corn and wheat and uh, barley mixture there. So And there's no alcohol in that, is there? I'm sorry? There's no alcohol in that. It's just no. Just what's been squeezed and before it goes through the, the the distilling process, right? Yeah, yeah. If we if we've done our job correctly, anyway, there's <laughs> yeah. no, there's, there's no drunk cows back. wandering around back. <laughs> happy, right. yeah, California, happy, happy come, come, California, come happy Dayton. cows come from Dayton, Ohio, <laughs> Fairborn, Ohio. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, future plans besides wow. vodka. Besides vodka that Uncle Sam paid for. Everything. How ironic is that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that Uncle Sam is paying for a Russian drink to be made in Dayton. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is kind of crazy. Potatoes? Uh, I, we've, got some, we've got some big plans um, in the future. I, I, right now, at this moment, I can't tell you all of them. Because, That's fine. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's getting exciting. Uh, we're, we're, getting, we're getting some uh, plans put together that are really going to be cool. So, uh, we, ex- we, we do, ex- we plan now to expand back into some other States. We've got some help, um, from an, uh, an outfit called thoroughbred spirits group, uh, which is kind of a consulting outfit. Um, and they have, uh, they have all manner of people in their group, um, uh, anything from, uh, engineers to marketing people to design people. Um, but they're big in the business end of it and they're, they're helping us with a business plan which includes moving into all of the surrounding states um, from Ohio um, eventually oh. within, within the next four years, um, expanding into uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, or not Illinois, um, Michigan, um, and Pennsylvania. So that's super exciting. Yeah, best it of is. luck to you guys. And I mean, we want to see hometown guys do good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So where can we find? Still writes what I mean. Besides all of the local liquor stores, what yeah. restaurants are you guys in right now? So we're we're uh, super excited to to be in the new uh, Warp Wing restaurant. They oh, that's awesome! In Springboro, yeah, that's a that's a great looking place. I've not been there yet, but uh, super thrilled to have a couple cocktails on their menu. Um, we are at Archer's Tavern and their sister store in Waynesville, the uh, the Stone House. Stone House. Um, We've eaten there before. Yeah, they have good food. Yeah great place yeah um and i don't know um there are several the um the black rock um oh wow the, uh, on north fairfield uh-huh i i have seen the, your still rights again they're just so distinctive i've seen your yeah. still rights bottles at um fifth street brew prop now when we go down there we're drinking you know the fifth street beer i don't order any liquor at that store but i've seen your bottles on the uh up on the shelf yeah, up on the top part cool. of the shelf too Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Like I say, we were just getting some momentum in that area, but it's, it's hard for us. We don't have a sales rep. Uh, We don't have anybody out there uh, banging on doors and suggesting cocktails and that kind of thing yet. 
Um, I do it all the time, free of charge. Well, excellent. We sure appreciate that. So what can people do? Like if, if you are a still rights fan like myself, can you, you know, push at your local watering hole? Hey, you should really get in contact with these guys. How would you suggest going about doing that? Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. So the deal is every bar or restaurant has been assigned a liquor store to buy their liquor from. Mm. So all of their liquor comes from one liquor store and we are in most of the liquor stores in the area now. So in most cases, if, if your bar or restaurant doesn't have still rights, you can just tell them, just add it to your, add it to your order. Um, their liquor store will deliver it with the rest or, uh, rest of their liquor um, or they can pick it up. Some people pick their liquor orders up at the liquor store, but either way, they can just add still rights to their liquor and it'll be on the back bar quick. So are we talking primarily the state stores? Correct. Okay. I didn't know that. I so mean, I, I just assumed that they would have like a, a, a regular list that they would buy from. So that's interesting. We'll, I is, mean, we'll uh, definitely be promoting you. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate that. It's, it's the whole business has been interesting to figure out like that. Um, the, how the, the liquor moves from our manufacturing plant to the warehouses and then from the warehouses to the liquor stores and then from the liquor stores either to the general public or to the bars and restaurants. I know the, the first time I walked into the back room at um, Arrow Wine, I was blown away. It was just like, holy smoke, there's five times as much liquor going out the back door as there is going out the front door. It's like the bars and restaurants are picking up in the back and the, yeah. it's just incredible to see the amount of that wholesale business they do there at the liquor stores as well. I never realized that. You should go back and listen to our episodes on uh, prehibition and prohibition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can, you can yeah. start supplying Whole to the Capitol building. Whole different building. back door situation oh, yeah. there. Whole different That's back door cool. going on right there. Yeah. yeah. So, look, hey, we're, we're going to run out of time here real soon. Give you the last word kind of on this. Anything you want to do to promote the business, what we need to do to help out or just final thoughts on distilling or whatever. It's, it's your time. We got a few minutes. Excellent. I appreciate that. Yeah. The, I would sure appreciate, like you said, anybody that's interested in still rights, um, ask for it wherever you are. If it's at the, at your bar or restaurant or at your liquor store, um, ask for still rights. And if they don't have it, it's super easy for them to get. Um, and I would just urge you to try it. Um, and then again, the, our, our distillery tours like you guys took, uh, we do this every, every Saturday at 1 o'clock. Um, it's a great way to come in and sample those products on the cheap uh, to, to figure out which one of the, the Still Rights products you like to where you don't buy a bottle of something that you don't like. Now, if someone wanted to schedule a tour, how would they get hold of you? Um, our, our website, stillrights.com, um, is probably the best way. Um, there's a tour tab on there. You can just click on there and schedule a tour right from the web uh, on our website. Um, you you can call the, the distillery too. Uh, my myself or James one will answer the phone and then we can get you on the list for the tours that way as well. How long does the tour last? About an hour. Um, I had I had do, been doing them in about an hour and a half, um, but um, we whittled it down now to about an hour. Um, again, when I start talking, I, it's hard <laughs> to get shut up. So, yeah. but, um, 
Well, you know, when you're passionate about something, you want to share your love with everybody. Yeah, this, I can keep talking forever about it. This has been a fantastic story, and it's it's the type of stuff that we like to do, yeah, and oh, absolutely. especially promote local Dayton business and to do local Dayton things. And this just, I mean, it just fits the bill to the T right here with this. It's yeah. it's amazing the whole story. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, glad glad to be here, and uh, appreciate you guys asking me on. Yep. Yeah, we're very honored that you would that you would take the time out for us. Well, Brad, thanks for being on our show right now. We know how to get hold of you um, on on our website. Our multimedia will put you out there on that too. And uh, best of luck to you to the business. And I just the, wish you the most success in the world to continue this up because again, it's it's something that's local. It makes us you know proud to be from mm-hmm. Dayton, and you guys are just like doing what. We, uh, I mean, it's, it's like, so there's, um, there's a, a company that creates t-shirts and things, um, called the Dayton project. And I have a t-shirt from them that says, um, they have one for boys and one for girls that say Dayton boys or girls solve problems and still writes. Like I said, is a perfect example of that. You are the quintessential Daytonians that saw an opportunity, saw an unusual way to solve a problem seized it and are now living your best lives and I, and making a really good product in, in the bargain. So, uh, you know, we can't thank you enough for coming on. We can't encourage our listeners enough to go out and buy still rights. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like we're not, Brad's not paying me to say that still rights to um, spiced rum is my favorite drink ever. Um, and, and I, I can probably single-handedly keep you in business, not to say that I I drink excessively (laughs) or anything, uh, but I do. And it's it's really good stuff. So I'm sitting here shaking my head. So please go support Still Right, support Drink Local, um, and thank you again for coming on the show. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. All right, Brad, just hang on for a minute. And uh, Kim... How do we get hold of us here at An Hour of Your Life? If you want to talk to us, you can find us on all the socials. On Twitter, we are at A Lost Hour. On Facebook, we are at An Hour of Your Life. And on Instagram, we're at An Hour of Your Life. And if you want to dress, drop us a line through email, you can find us at alosthour at gmail.com. And we love it when you write to us um, from wherever you are in the world. I think our international listenership is picking back up again. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to our guy in what is it? Iran, Iraq? Iran. Um, so and and hello Ireland. Uh, write to Still Rights and see if maybe somehow we can get you into Belfast. Um, but thank you guys for listening uh, and and let us know what you think. Yeah, and look, hey, the best way you can help us out here on the show is to recommend us to a friend. Go on to any of the sites where you listen to your favorite podcast. Leave us a good rating. If it's yeah. going to be less than a four, don't do it. Just yeah. leave us a five and and uh, write some good comments. You know I'm joking about that. But if you got criticism, no, he's not. No, I'm not. If you got criticism, <laughs> give us a call. And look, if you uh, if you missed how to get hold of Still Rights, uh, you can go back and listen to this podcast again, again, and or, again. Or you can just write us at uh, Gmail, like Kim said. A Lost Hour. At, at A Lost Hour at gmail.com. Yep. All uh, right. So, Kim. What? Get us out of here. No, you have to start it. Oh, oh, okay. It's my turn again. So, from our studios <laughs> in Sugar Creek, Ohio. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Mm-hmm.